Well, here we are. Good morning, Ocean View. And good morning, Ocean View Online. Good to have you with us, uh, joining us this morning. Well, what a week I had. Uh, let's see, I got flu on Tuesday, uh, snow on Thursday, board meeting Thursday night, uh, Quanos AGM on Saturday. And uh, just so you know, at Quanos, uh, Jason Hicks is now on the Quanos board. So uh, we can say congrat. Well, I don't know if you say congratulations. It's a lot. It can be a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry for you. Um, I, I was 10 years on the Quantos board, so know what it's like there. So it's good. Lots of things happening there, so that's good. And uh, we look forward to what the summer is going to hold for Quantos. Snow, uh, people, you made it out this morning. That's good. Glad you're here. So, uh, what do you do? When you're caught between the devil and the deep blue sea, or when you're between a rock and a hard place, or when you have to choose the lesser of two evils. Exodus 14 is the story of Moses, the people of Israel, and the parting of the Red Sea. They were caught between the devil and the deep blue sea, or the deep red sea, actually. This story finds reference throughout the Old Testament and New Testament. It's kind of, you, you keep hearing about this great story. There are great lessons of faith, faith lessons that we can glean for our own lives today from this story. Our first lesson uh, at the Red Sea was two weeks ago, and we said, you know, realize that God means for you to be where you are. Sometimes you go, how did I end up here? What did I do wrong? And realize God means for you to be where you are. God is driving. God led you sometimes to a dead end. Life though, is not out of control. God is sovereign. God is still in control, and we need to take comfort in that. Last week, we discovered that we can acknowledge our enemy, but keep your eyes on the Lord. You can acknowledge the situation, sometimes the evil that surrounds us, but remember, focus your eyes on the Lord, not on the trouble. And it's okay to stare. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Today is our last faith lesson in this series. Its title is, Take the Next Step. And the faith lesson is, when you're unsure, just take the next logical step by faith. Life is most often not a detailed blueprint. God generally leads his children day by day, step by step. He cares for us moment by moment with rarely a grand picture of the end result. So let's look at our story in Exodus 14. Where did we leave those Israelites uh, last week? Well, they were at Pi Hahiroth, where they were camped on the beach. The Red Sea was in front of them. Coming up behind them was uh, Pharaoh and the great Egyptian army. And God's presence is visible in the pillar of cloud, bringing darkness to the enemy, and the pillar of fire giving light to the fleeing slaves. But they're going, hey, we're going to drown. We're stuck here. And the people were crying out to Moses. They're crying out to God. They're praying, why are we in this predicament? What are we going to do? So there was panic. There was worry. There was fear. And Moses attempts to calm the people. He says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Calm down. Be still. And wait on the Lord. Now, here is our faith lesson today. In verse 15, I'm going to read it from the message, and it says it best. God said to Moses, why cry out to me? Speak to the Israelites, order them to get moving. 
Get moving. Take that first step. It's enough standing still. It's time to step out in faith. Even though you don't see the end or even what the next step will be, take that step. Now, the Hebrews could not see what was in the distance. They didn't have binoculars to, you know, kind of view Canaan. They uh, couldn't Google it. They couldn't check it out on Google Earth. They had no iPhones to send pictures. It was nighttime. The water was still there. The Egyptians were still behind them. Moses hadn't even put out his staff yet. God says, get moving. Take a step in the right direction. Now, possibly in this instance, but definitely 40 years later, as they faced somewhat the same situation at crossing the Jordan River into Canaan, the priests in that instance of crossing the Jordan River were told to step out. The river was at flood tide. It was high. They would have been swept away, but they actually had to step down six feet into the water without it parting. It says as soon as their feet touched the water, it parted. Now, that's step of faith. You know, we have a saying about it. It's called a leap of faith. 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Do you remember that? Indy's father has been shot. Indy has to get the whole, to the Holy Grail for the miraculous healing water. But there is a chasm to cross with no instruction other than it is a leap of faith. And, you know, every time I watch this little scene, my chest kind of tightens up. And if I'm standing there, I mean, I have vertigo. And I'm just thinking, standing there, trying to step out into dead air. A little scary. Watch this. Step of faith, a classic, that's a classic, it's got to be there for, uh, for all eternity. Considering the next step in the process, don't just stand still forever, it can't just wait patiently and never move. There comes a time when it's time to move. What do we do in those intense situations? I know we want the plan well laid out because uh, it often involves significant change and change is often accompanied by many options. We want to know, what will it look like? Where will it all end? I remember Uncle Roy, and this goes back way before they were coasting. They were out at Pachina Bay, and we were out there, and Uncle Roy says, you know, decision-making, the will of God. He says, sometimes you just, you get up, you have to make that decision, and you pray about it, 
And then you say, God, whatever it is, I'm going to make a decision and I'm trusting you that it's right. And you just do it. Making the decision. Christians over the years have reaffirmed that this is how God works. C.H. McIntosh, way back in the 1800s, he was an Irish preacher and Bible expositor. He said this, God never gives guidance for two steps at a time. I must take one step and then I get light for the next. This keeps the heart in abiding dependence upon God. Yeah, we would like a lot more than that, but it's not always how God works. You know, Jesus did talk about counting the cost and making plans when building a tower and a king going to war, making plans for the outcome. But that was not in the context of God's guidance. That was in the context of becoming a disciple. It's going to cost. And one of the foundations of discipleship is trust, one step at a time, not always knowing the outcome, not always informed of the ultimate plan. I'm under, I, I think one of the reasons for this is what we'll call decision paralysis. Sometimes when we have too many decisions, too many choices, we will not move. We will not move out. There was a 67-year-old patient who had a chronic hip pain from arthritis. The drugs had been ineffective and they are forced to consider hip replacement surgery. Now, that's very invasive and the recovery is long and painful. So we do a final check with the patient's pharmacy and we uncover that there is one medication not tried. The doctor has to make a decision. Does he prescribe the untried medication or refer the patient for surgery? Now, this was a medical research experiment. 47% of the doctors chose to try the medication first. But here's the interesting thing. When they put it out that there were two medications that weren't tried, only 28% took that option. It's known as analysis paralysis. When you have more options, it can actually freeze you. It makes us retreat to the default plan, and decisions tax our strength. The more choices we are offered, the more exhausted we get. At a gourmet food store, they had a jam display. When they had six jars to choose from, and at another, they had 24 jars of different specialty jams to choose from. People were 10 times more likely to buy stuff at the six display than at the 24 display. There were just too many choices, and they just, forget it, and I'll take it from this. It caused confusion, and people revert to status quo. The Red Sea problems and the challenges that enter our life, changes are inevitable. Options will abound. If the choice was simple, it wouldn't be a problem. So what do we do? Many years ago, Time magazine published an article about a doctor who lived through the terrible bombing of Hiroshima. When the blast occurred, Dr. Fumio Shigetu was waiting for his streetcar only a mile away from the blast center, but he was sheltered by the corner of a concrete building. Within seconds after the explosion, his ears were filled with the screams of victims all around him. Not knowing what had happened, he stood there for a moment bewildered. One doctor wondering how he could ever handle this mountain of patients. And then still somewhat stunned, Dr. Shigetsu knelt, opened his black bag, and began treating the person lying at his feet. When unsure, just take the next logical step by faith. 
You know, sometimes we can be bogged down by all the possibilities. And consequently, we don't do anything. We don't move anywhere. And we sometimes sit paralyzed by procrastination. Or we analyze it to death, making many plans, but we don't get the job done. Decision paralysis. Jesus talks about a day-by-day walk with God. Matthew 6, give us this day our daily bread. 1 Corinthians 4, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day-by-day. In Matthew 6, so don't be anxious about tomorrow. God will take care of your tomorrow too. Live one day at a time. Dilemmas don't have simple solutions. What little step can I take right now towards addressing this? Sometimes we're never sure what will happen. We are never sure what will happen a year from now. Choices multiply as time increases, but the next step is often obvious if we think about it. If you have a vexing problem, prayerfully take the next logical step by faith. Like Indiana Jones, it might take a leap of faith, You won't have all the answers, but it is movement. When you look at stories of great Canadians, in the late 1800s, there was a man named Bill Osler. Probably never heard of him. But he was a medical student. He was anxious about the future. And he worried about graduating from school, establishing a a medical practice, uh, making a living. And he was working himself up into a nervous breakdown. In a spring day in 1871, he read 21 words from the Scottish philosopher and essayist Thomas Carlyle. It totally changed his thinking. Later, William Osler became the most famous physician of his era in the world. He was one of the big four. He was the father of modern medicine. He organized John Hopkins School of Medicine. He became the professor of medicine at Oxford. He was knighted and had numerous biographies written about him. And he was Canadian. Don't forget that. What were those famous words of Thomas Carlyle? This is what he read. Our main business is not to see what lies dimly at a distance, but to do what lies clearly at hand. Do what lies clearly at hand. When unsure, just take the next logical step by faith. In 1 Samuel 9, in the Old Testament, we read about King Saul, or Saul at that time. He went looking for his father's lost donkeys. And the trip was orchestrated by God to lead the young man to prophet Samuel. When the two met, Samuel anointed Saul as the first king over Israel. And then he said, when you leave here, this is going to happen. And then this is going to happen. And something else is going to happen. And things will unfold like signs step by step. It is all laid out for him. But then it would be time to take faith steps. From that time on, your decisions should be based on whatever seems best under the circumstances, for the Lord will guide you. From that time on, your decisions are on what's best. The Red Sea, Moses, and the people in their moment of their greatest perplexity The seas divided, water piles up. They took their first hesitant steps testing the seafloor. It became a highway of hope. And they traveled step by step, moment by moment. In November of 1994, I was preaching for a call to Souk. And Souk is on the south end of the island. We were up at Lake Louise. 
at the School of Billy Graham School of Evangelism, and uh, we had to get down to Souk right that we leave in the morning. We should be in Souk that night. Unfortunately, it was snowing when we left the hotel, and those were anxious moments, just like today. It's a snow day, only this was, we were in the Rockies, we had a long way to go, and it was daunting. The whole drive was done. We had deadlines to meet, and there was possibility there was no snow on the other side of the mountain, but we didn't know. One of the sessions in the conference was called Praying Small Steps. That's what the, it was, and I, I distinctly remembered as we got in the car, and I think, praying small steps. Well, that drive back was almost moment by moment, at least hour by hour prayer. Lord, get us to field. Okay, now get us to golden. Okay, Lord, we got to go through the Rogers Pass. Now it's Revelstoke, Salmon Arm, then Kamloops and Hope. Lord, we need to make that ferry. Lord, this is a cow trail out to Souk. I hope we can make it. Eventually, we arrived at Souk safe and sound, but it, it came by trusting the Lord in little leaps of faith, step by step, the next moment. The whole thing was too daunting. Small increments, one footprint at a time, was doable. Sometimes we have to take things moment by moment. When you don't know what to do, just do what comes next. Trust God to lead you a step at the time. Trust God for guidance in small increments. If you can't see what lies dimly in the distance, do what lies clearly at hand. So what happened to the Israelites? They take the next step. It says in Exodus 14, verses 21, Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. One of the most dramatic object lessons in the Old Testament. The people watch Moses raise his walking stick over the sea barrier, and they're stunned as dry land appears, a valley between water cliffs, a gateway to Israel, a graveyard to Egypt. One of God's greatest miracles, we can trust God to deliver in his own unique way. God delivers. It's throughout the Old Testament. Deuteronomy, for the Lord your God walks in the middle of your camp to deliver you. In uh, Psalms, it says, a righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. In the Psalm again, it says, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you will honor me. In the New Testament, God rescues. Second Peter, the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials. In Galatians, Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. And then in 2 Timothy, Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. God delivers. God rescues. But does God still deliver in any way, regular or unique? We have financial woes, marital problems, emotional confusion, harm and danger, self-destructive habits, disease. Yet we have to say, yes, absolutely, God still rescues. But we must have God's perspective on deliverance. He doesn't always view things the way that we do. 
God will deliver his children from evil work, from peril and problem, from suffering, from death itself. But there are no cookie cutters, no same-size-fits-all solutions. One size does not fit all. Every situation is singular and special, uniquely tailored. Does he still part the waters? Do miracles still occur? Yes. And many times God delivers overtly. Like it's plain, it's open, it's visible, it's very explicit. It's a miracle. Christine Claypool was from Detroit. And it's a number of years ago, she was on a missions trip to Cuba when distributing Bibles was not allowed. So she filled her suitcase with Spanish Bibles. And then she put on three layers of clothes and carried them that way. Now, that odd appearance was a security warning sign, and so she got singled out at every airport. And in Cuba, she was singled out. They tried to open the suitcase, and the zipper was stuck. The guard tried it, and they tried it, and called over, and they tried it, and they tried it, and finally he was so frustrated, he just told her to go on. So at the hotel, she went looking for a knife to cut open her suitcase, but the zipper just opened easily and the Bibles were distributed. In the 1880s, Colonel George and Sarah Clark leased the Pacific Beer Garden in Chicago, and they changed the name to this Pacific Garden Mission. They bore the cost themselves. The ministry grew quickly, but one day they just didn't have enough money to pay the rent. There were only 24 hours left, so they went home and they prayed all night. When they left their house at daybreak, their yard was blanketed in white, rare mushrooms of a very high quality. It was totally the wrong season. But they gathered them all up and they sold them to the Palmer House chefs. It paid the rent. There were never any mushrooms before and never any mushrooms since. Bertha Smith was a missionary in China. And she traveled to a primitive village to tell them about Jesus her hotel for five days was an ox stall, and it had swarms of flies. And she prayed when she entered that. She says, Lord, I'm spoiled, but I just can't eat with so many flies. In Egypt, flies come and go at your word. So could you do one of two things? Could you take the flies away or help me ignore them and eat anyways, and you take care of the germs? Whatever you want, Lord. Your will be done. For the remaining five days, not one fly flew into the ox stall. God can jam zippers, grow mushrooms, evict flies. God can carve pathways through the sea. God can work miracles whenever he wishes. Miracles still occur. But understand, God uses them sparingly. Miracles are not standard operating procedure, not even in Scripture. The Bible isn't packed with miracles. It's only in certain periods, periods of biblical history that you see clusters of signs and wonders. During the Exodus, in the life of Elijah and Elisha, in the life of Christ, and in the early days of the church and the apostles. Other than that, you don't see a ton of miracles. God delivers overtly right out in front, but sometimes God delivers covertly. 
Covertly is more like uh, secretly, disguised, not out in the open, kind of behind the scenes. We have a name for that. It's called providence. God works in providential ways rather than in supernatural ones. It's happening as if though through divine intervention, and it occurs at favorable times, opportune times. Sometimes we say, we were lucky, but that's incorrect. Mature Christians pay attention to accidents, misfortunes, coincidences. In reality, there are no such things. Many times it is so supple, subtle that we don't remember them specifically, but we know that they happened. Providential ordering of a God who watches over all in his prayerful, trustful children. The unseen hand is guiding, guarding, and arranging, and rearranging circumstances. And sometimes we go, well, I didn't see it, but man, that was a coincidence. This thing happened, and this thing happened. 1997-98, we had just moved to Souk. We preached for the call. We actually ended up going to Souk. We moved from Port Hardy to Souk on January 1st, 1998. Our finances were low. Our children had some medical expenses. I was moving from both a pastoring and a uh, managing a hardware store job to just pastoring in Souk. It was a small church. Children had medical expenses. Steve was graduating and going to NBTC. And uh, we were getting kind of low on funds. Back in 1977, we had been married. And Sandra came with an insurance policy. Her mom and dad had two children, and they had paid up these insurance policies at 18. It was worth about $500. We had moved 14 times in two years and changed the addresses all the time. And we actually found out a policy at one point, and we changed the address, but then we kind of lost the policy, didn't even know where it was. We kind of wondered what happened to it after 20 years. In 1997, a letter came in the mail from a completely different insurance company. The policy had been transferred four times. Apparently, Sandra now had shares in this company, and the company was going to be sold, so we could cash in those shares one time for no charge. And we kind of thought it was a scam, but we checked it out and realized it was legit, and it was now worth $12,000. And we used every last cent of that to get us through those years. Providence, God works through situations and circumstances covertly. It's Charles Spurgeon, that great British preacher from the 1800s, says, We believe in the providence of God, but we don't believe half enough in it. Burdens become blessings, tears lead to triumph. The redemptive grace of God overcomes the undercurrents of life. For God's children, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Thirdly, well, see, God delivers overtly through a miracle. He delivers covertly by providence. And God will also deliver mysteriously. As that great old revivalist preacher, Vance Havner, said, God marks some of our days. We'll explain later. Like when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, they questioned him about it, and Jesus said, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. In the end, it'll be better for us, though for a time we may be perplexed. 
The Apostle Paul stated in 2 Timothy 4.18, The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. Yet soon afterwards he was beheaded, his body thrown into a grave. Was he delivered? Yes. He delivered from the evil that surrounded him, removed from the tears, pain, stress, and sickness, taken where Satan could no longer harass, present with the Lord, which he said is far better. We can trust God to save and deliver us from every evil work. He will preserve us for his heavenly kingdom. He will save and deliver in his own unique way. Miraculous, providential, mysterious, that is his specialty. So we need to learn to take the next step in faith and trust Jesus. You know, sometimes we use that word trust Jesus and taking the next step and there's this, uh, this video that kind of really puts it into perspective of what does it mean to trust Jesus, taking that next step. Sometimes we, we just want to know what's going on. How do we trust Jesus? Just watch this. Jesus, to help I just don't that. trust you. You don't trust me? No, I mean, I want to trust you. I just don't. <laughs> I have an exercise that I think will really help. You. Oh, okay. Stand here and face this direction. Mm -hmm. Now. Do you trust me? Uh, no, I just said I don't trust you. All right, well, this is all part of the exercise. Oh, all right. Okay. Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's practice. Okay. So, do you trust me? Uh, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Don't worry about that part. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> you can do this, okay? Just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well, Jesus, I trust Good. you. Yes, I do trust you. I'm gonna fall okay. back. Woo! Oh, okay. <laughs> That's great. Uh, okay. Let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted, all right? Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay, I'm gonna do it. All right. I'm really gonna do it. <laughs> okay. Good. Okay, hold it. Oh, you know what? You're too close. You need to move back. Ah, right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> this one's a little bit different, Laura. Oh, okay. Uh, stand here. Uh-huh. But face me. Woo! Forward fall. Okay. I can do that. Wait. Whoa. Okay. Um, wait for my signal. Oh, right. The Jesus signal. Yes. The okay. Jesus signal. Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus. I trust you so much. Good. Fall back. Awesome. It is awesome, <laughs> especially when you do it. Seriously? Of course. Okay, Jesus, I don't know if you noticed this, but there is nobody over there. I know it looks that way to you. It looks that way. It is that way. You can do this, Laura. Just trust me and fall back. Jesus, I can't do that. We can do it together. I can't. You can. I won't. And you're all going, yeah, I've been there, done that. <laughs> trusting, trusting Jesus. When you don't know what to do, take the next logical step by faith. Sometimes it's just coming to Jesus and say, 
got to trust you. You're the only way to heaven. It's that first step. And we keep taking those steps throughout our life. Dustin, come pray for us.